exegetical series through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, so it's a three-part series. And the last week we talked about how it really is about grace. How do we handle life? Uh, the book of 1 Peter was written uh, to help Christians in the midst of difficult times, uh, face persecution and hardship and how they grow in faith, how faith can survive in that. And so uh, in realizing that really it's God's grace. Uh, it's the grace to handle our, our, our troubles that God gives us in the midst of our troubles. That's how we handle it. So last week uh, we began looking how that grace needs to be focused at uh, what's coming next, right? We need to be focusing on the eternal things, not the temporary things. Today we're going to talk about some very real things in our life uh, that cause a lot of people a lot of problems and how we can find the grace to handle those. And that's finding grace under authority. Of course, before we do that, we want to get to our memory verse. This is our memory verse for this series. It kind of is a central verse of First Peter. And it's what it says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps today. Today we're going to talk about what that means in terms of grace under authority. Christ gave us an example that we need to follow in his steps. And uh, I tell you what, being under authority sometimes is difficult. Um, I think that, uh, that we could all uh, agree with that at times. It seems like life would be so much easier if I was just in charge of my entire life and I didn't have to, to be under anyone's authority. But you know what we would call that? We would call that anarchy. And life really wouldn't be very good. You see, uh, society is made up of institutions, and that's not just because, you know, there were strong people and weak people. It's, it's because that's how we work together. And how do we work together? How do we, we work in such a way that life makes sense and that we're not just fighting all the time for survival? Our world is made up of multiple different of these institutions. We have family, military, corporations, jobs, things like this, government. Uh, and in all those institutions, they're necessary. They're necessary for society to exist. They provide structure and order and context and identity. And every one of us are, are part of these institutions. And because we're part of them, uh, most of life stretches, stresses occur in the midst of these <laughs> different institutions, right? Uh, because this is where we exist. This is where we live. But institutions aren't necessary evils. Nis- institutions are necessities that are often used for evil, which is unfortunate. Authority is often misused. Jesus even spoke about this in, in Matthew 25, uh, or twenty twenty-five, And he says to his disciples, he says, when, when you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you want to have a, a high rank, guess what? Don't be like the people of this world who use their authority to lord it over other people. He said instead, use your authority to become the servant or the slave of all. Sometimes abuse of authority, it can be replaced. Just because we have institutions and there's authority, God's not saying that we should just accept abuse of authority. There are times that abuse of authority can be replaced. And it ought to be. But there are times that it can't. There are times that replacing that authority actually would cause a greater evil. What do you do as a believer, as a Christian, as a person, in the midst of these institutions, when you are following something that is difficult? when it's corrupt or it's hard. How does a Christian supposed to live? How can faith grow under that? That is what is the topic of, of today's message that Paul or Peter gives to us in his epistle. And so if you have a Bible, I would like you to turn it to First uh, Peter. And if you don't have a Bible, you can have one of ours. We have got plenty in the back, and uh, you're welcome to keep them. Um, and so if you have one of our Bibles, they are uh, in... Uh, 
page uh, 851 as we're going, and you'll see that that, uh, as you are turning there, just a little context for you, uh, remember uh, the, the, the context of this book, that Peter wrote this book at the end of his life. Uh, he goes up to Rome because Nero was in Rome. Paul has either been executed at this point or has left and has gone far off to Spain. And now Nero has already burned down Rome and has blamed Christians for it and is persecuting Christians horribly. It's the year uh, AD 64. And uh, it's, it's a hard time. And Peter, who is near the end of his life and could have easily just sent somebody else up there, goes himself to Rome. And that's where he is, and he sees the suffering, engages with it, encourages Christians in the middle. First Peter was written before he was captured. Second Peter was written right after he was captured, before he's executed. Now he is suffering under one of these institutions, straight up. He, he sees the brokenness of humanity, and he writes a, a letter to the churches to encourage us, to prepare us. How do we live a faith-filled life? How do we, how do we live a life? How we can we handle these difficult things? And he talks about some amazing grace. So in this particular section, as we go through it, uh, uh, starting in uh, 1 Peter 2, we'll be starting in verse 13, there's a word there that's used that we don't like. It's the word submission. And Christians hate the word submission. In fact, not just Christians, people hate the word submission. Let me go into it. Submission is not a woman's issue. Let me start with that one right there. Right? Submission is a human issue. Okay, it's, it's, it's not something that is just placed. There's no, actually no place in the Bible where it says women submit to men. That doesn't exist. It does say in there that there are certain times in different institutions based upon where we are in an institution we're supposed to submit. But every Christian is supposed to submit to God. Every Christian is supposed to submit to spiritual authorities and governmental authorities. Every commission is supposed to submit in even our jobs. There's, this is something that every human finds ourself in submission. Now, there's good submission and bad submission, and this book's going to talk about the difference between that. And submission, then, is not about value. In fact, if we look at it, it goes back even to the very nature of God. God is triune, right? We would agree. And there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Would we agree that they're all equal? Yes, but does the Son submit to the will of the Father? Yeah, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He says, everything I say to you is what my Father tells me I'm supposed to say. He submits himself fully. Now, Jesus is absolutely equal in value. His ministry is absolutely equal in power to that of the Father. The Father would in no way ever say that the Son is in less than. So submission has nothing to do with value. It has to do with structure. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus didn't submit his will to the Father's? Would you be saved? No, because Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus would have much rather not gone to the cross. But he knew that it was the right thing. There is submission, and submission is not a bad thing, and even God submits to himself, which is a crazy cool concept. And so uh, we understand that submission is not about value. It's, a, it's an issue of position. It's an, it's an issue of order and structure. And we also see that submission is not acquiescence to authority. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean like whatever the authority says, that's what I'm going to do. That's not submission at all. But it is the foundation for structure in society. Can you imagine the military if there wasn't submission to like the, the leaders? Like the soldiers were like, nah, I really don't feel like going out there. <laughs> you think that the military would be safe? Can you imagine any job, any business that would be successful if the employees could just tell the managers and the owner, nah, I don't feel like doing that today. 
they would bankrupt. You see, it's, it's important, it's necessary, but it's also dangerous when it's misused. And so we have to talk about how do we handle that. Also, uh, it has to be applied because that it's, it's, it's an issue of foundation structure. Submission must be applied correctly. It needs to be applied in context to structure, position, and of jurisdiction. So we'll be discussing those things and then Paul talks about them, or Peter talks about them today. So we talk about graceful submission. Let's talk about what graceful submission is. It's not just acquiescence. When we talk about what's graceful submission, it's the first thing, it's subjects to God's will. Okay, we need to, uh, if, in order to be graceful submission, we realize that we are submitting because we are fully first submitting to God. The second thing, graceful submission is, is it's supported by God's power. Uh, we have the, the ability to handle the trials that we face because God helps us with those things. Um, I remember a time, and I told the story last week, um, uh, my wife was, had this uh, author that she really loved, Elizabeth Elliot, who uh, was a missionary, and her, and her husband went down to, uh, to evangelize some folks who never heard the gospel before, and her husband was murdered by those people. And then later on, she went back down and evangelized those very people. And that terrified my wife. And one day she got to meet Elizabeth Elliot and asked her, how on earth did you handle this? was like my worst fear, was what she, Amy said. And Elizabeth said, uh, she said, well, God gives you the grace to handle the trial with the trial. And, and we recognize that graceful submission, submission to God, there are times it's going to be difficult, but it's also, it's, it's something that is supported by God's power. He helps us do what is right. And that's what the word says, is God will always help us do what is right. The third thing is that uh, graceful submission is sustained by God's promises. There is a reason in context Paul or Peter talks about this right after he talks about the, the overarching, setting the context of this world is a very temporary place and eternity is ours. And so we need to live not for today, but for the bigger things. And so we need to keep that in context in, in, in our mind as we understand how we ought to submit and how we are supposed to place ourselves under authority in this life. So, so the first thing we talk about, first, graceful submission to authorities, that's First Peter 2, starting with verse, um, well, 11, but um, really 13 is where I'm going to begin. And uh, it says, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake for every, uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong uh, and uh, commend those who do right. Now he's talking about government. Now in context, remember that Paul was, or Peter was writing this when Nero was emperor while he was in Rome while Nero was actively murdering Christians. So I know that we don't have the best choices for our leadership right now as a nation, right? But if Peter could write this in the midst of that context, certainly we can find the power to find faithful living and hope today in ours. See, government operates by God's authority uh, Peter, it's interesting that he didn't do what most of people and pundits would do and radio talk show hosts would do. He didn't go up and rail against Nero. In fact, you won't even find his name in this book. Why? Nero is inconsequential to God's purposes and plans and powers. God's much bigger than that. The church of God is much bigger than that. God's doing something so much better and bigger than who sits on the throne. He didn't have to write against Nero. He wrote for faith. And he empowered the Christian to do amazing things. It would have been easy for Peter to write in there, you know, resist this evil, wicked man. But instead he says, submit yourselves to those that are in power authority, even to this emperor. 
And he talks about this because government operates by God's authority. This is not, even though government that's twisted and broken, it's, the government's not a necessary evil. Government's necessary. It can be used for evil. And that's what it was being used at this time. And so governments have jurisdiction. They, they, they operate over, they occupy certain things. And those two things are, they occupy uh, space and they regulate uh, laws. And that's what they, that's where they operate. And so if we look at, um, really if like a jurisdiction say, well, the government of Colorado has jurisdiction for two things. One, over the state of Colorado. So if, uh, if the governor of Colorado or the legislator of Colorado said all people that are citizens of Boston need to pay us $1,000 every week, the citizens of Boston would say, we don't have to do that. You have no jurisdiction over us. Why? Outside of the land. The second thing that our government has is, is jurisdiction over law. They're able to regulate how society is supposed to operate, which is an important thing. They're able to say, listen, you're supposed to drive this speed. They have the, the, the right to tell us those things. But what they do not have the right to do is, is regulate truth. Right? To say, you must believe this. Right? Isn't humanity coming to problems when governments try to tell you what is true and regulate those things? Well, they don't have the authority to do that. It's outside their jurisdiction. But they do have jurisdiction for law. And so we need to recognize that. That's where governments exist in, and that's how we exist in those. So we look at the structure of how uh, government is set up, how God set it up. We see that God is over all governments. It could be government A, government B, it doesn't matter. God is the God over all governments. That's why he's called King of Kings, which I think is a cool title, which means that there's no government in the world that is not under his authority. And this becomes very important for us as we understand how we're supposed to submit to these governments that are less than perfect. So God is the, the, the one that's over all governments. And so each government then is structured uh, ultimately with, a, with the same kind of chain of command, even though they may look different. And so uh, he, in, in uh, verse 13, we find this. The very first thing is you have somebody at the top. That's the supreme authority. Now, in, in here it says, submit yourself uh, to the emperor as supreme authority. Okay, so he was the top guy. In our uh, government, we have the three branches. Right? You have the, the president, the executive branch. You have the Supreme Court uh, over the judicial branch. You have the legislature over the legislative branch. Right? Those are the top people. That's the supreme. That's the, they're the head. And then under that, uh, he says that they were supposed to also, in verse 14, uh, that we're supposed to uh, submit ourselves to the governors who are sent by them to punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. So underneath supreme authority, we see that government has the right to have representative authority. These are the people that uh, work for the, the supreme, under the authority of the supreme leader, with that same authority to regulate certain portions of that authority. So you have, in our thing, we have police, we have other government workers. Now, if an IRS agent pulls you over and tries to give you a ticket for speeding, do they have authority to do that? No, even though our government has the authority to do that, that agent doesn't have that jurisdiction, Right? their area of authority extends only to the tax law. Which is the same way, like, if you have a, a police officer, you know, they can't, uh, you know, go in and, and, and tell you how you're supposed to file your taxes outside their authority. You see, even though it all falls under the supreme authority, each person in the representative authority only has authority in their area. That's jurisdiction. And so we need to pay attention to that are we obeying the right people <laughs> for the right things? And then underneath those 
uh, verse 15, 17, we, we see this, that there are, we are citizens, right? And we're obligated underneath those authorities. And our obligations, uh, we'll see, are to obey the laws and obey God. Uh, that's what it says, verse 15 and 16. It says we're supposed to obey them. And, uh, and then it says we're supposed to live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but be as God's slaves. So we're supposed to obey both the laws of the land as we obey the laws of God because he's the king of kings. He's the ultimate authority. So our responsibilities under government are very simple. The first one here is what it says, tells us that we're supposed to respect everyone. That's what it says. And that really goes to an issue of civil rights uh, and human rights. We're supposed to respect other people and care for them. We're not supposed to impose ourselves over the top of others, right? And at the same time, we're supposed to have our rights as well. So we respect everyone. The second thing uh, that we see here that he tells us to do in verse 17, it says, is to love our church. I love this because you know, he talks about, about as broken of a government as you can. It was Nero's right, debacle as everything's falling apart. And he says, show proper respect for everyone. Right? Then it says, love the family of believers. Why? Well, because that's our true citizenship. He talked about that in the first chapter. Right? We have to recognize that we're part of a bigger kingdom first. And we obey that kingdom and that society first. And so that means that we love one another, which is totally different than the way this world works, by the way. And the next thing it tells us to do is to fear God. And in fact, that's what it says, fear God. And, uh, and so that's really our ultimate authority. That's remembering that God is actually even above the three branches of our government. Right? He is ultimate king and authority over all things. And then the last thing that it tells us here is that we're supposed to, and this is crazy, is to honor the king and the leaders. And remember that Peter was talking about Nero. And he was talking about those soldiers that were kicking down the doors of, of the churches and dragging Christians out to be executed and tortured. And he says, honor the kings. Now, he doesn't say like them. I'm glad he doesn't say like them. He says, honor them. And that's what we do. Why? Because they have jurisdictional authority and we honor them in their jurisdictional authority. This is our responsibility. And how we do that is, well, the areas that they have the right to tell us what to do, well, we follow that. Now you say, well, Aaron, what about? Right? This is really where most of, of our problems come in. Is this would be great if, uh, if our authorities were all godly and every, they always agreed with what was right and good and, and led with wisdom and honor and, and uh, justice, but that's not the case that usually happens, right? Because governments are made of people. And as far as I know, every person's pretty messed up. And so when we get together, we mess things up. So what about, what about, what about what we do when there is an unjust law? Well, let's ask ourselves, what makes the law unjust? Well, it's, it's a law that is outside of, of what God would have, right? It's a law that contradicts God's laws. That's what makes it unjust. Well, let me ask you. My brother's a military. He's in the Air Force. And uh, so he's a, a major right now in there. And so he has command over certain people. Now, there's people above him. And, and say one of his generals tells everyone that they're supposed to wear black shoes. The general says, I want everyone to wear black shoes. Now, you, does he have the right to do that? Yeah. The general can tell his soldiers what color shoes they're supposed to wear. And if he wanted to, he could. Well, if my brother came down and says, I hate black shoes. We should wear tennis shoes that are white. Because it's much more fashionable. Everybody knows that. <laughs> right? If my brother came down and said that you're supposed to do it, it would be an unjust command. It would be in, in contradiction to that of his superior. What should the people under my brother do? 
those under my brother's command. Should they wear black shoes or white shoes? Black shoes. Straight up. My brother doesn't have the right to offer a, a contradictory command. Well, let's apply that to our government. Let's say that the government comes out with a law that says, um, you must... Uh, you must murder your neighbor. <laughs> right? What if they do? You think that's crazy, but there's actually countries in which that's happened, in which the governments have commanded their people to murder one another. Does the government have the right to do that? No, because it's against God's laws, and we would say, I can't apply that. What if there's a government comes in, and they kick open your door, and they say, we're here to take you all away and you have to tell us where every Christian you know is so they can be tortured and murdered. Do you under obligation to tell them? No, they don't have the right to do that because it's under, against God's laws. What if a, a, a government comes in and says, you can't believe this. You have to deny your faith. It's against the law to be a Christian or you have to be part of the, of the state church. The, do we have to abide by that? No, because it's an unjust law. It's outside. God says that we have to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what it says. And so we have to make sure that the government doesn't have jurisdiction. It's outside of their ability to create a law that, that, uh, that goes there. Unjust laws are things that, that uh, we have. Graceful submission means that we must obey God first. That's what graceful submission is. Remember, God is the king of kings, and so submission to government ultimately means submission to God. So if there's ever a time where you feel that your conscience is in check and you cannot obey, you obey God first. That's a very clear thing. Now, that sometimes might mean civil disobedience. What that means is that, yes, we're going to obey God first and there may be consequences under our local government. And you're going to have to face those. And you're going to have to own those. And you know what? Did Jesus set an example for us to follow in that? Ah, yeah. You see the power of that memory verse? You know, if God himself would be willing to submit to unjust authorities, then so can we. He gives us the grace to do that. How about irrational demands? These aren't things that are unjust. They don't really disagree with God. They're just kind of crazy. Right? And can we agree that sometimes governments tell us to do things that are crazy? Right? What if a government tells you to do something, I don't know, your house seems perfectly fine, but they say, we want you to replace all of your circuit breakers with new ones that you know, are, are really expensive. Do they have the right to tell you to do that? Absolutely. It's in their jurisdictional power. As long as you live where they're governing over, that's their right. What do you do then? Well, the first thing, we need to honor our authority. And we do that first, we, we, we are honest, but we don't slander. We can go to them and say, this is a really bad law. But you don't have to say, these are stupid people. You see the difference? <laughs> yeah, this is maybe not a great law, but we may speak against the, the law, but not against the people. We're going to honor them, even in our language. We also need to appeal through structure. All right, if I'm a citizen and, uh, and I've got a problem with the, the building department or something like this, I need to go to the building department. It does me very little good if I just jump up to the next thing, if I call the President of the United States on the phone and say, hey, right? there's structure for a reason. And we work through structure. And we make an appeal the best that we can, and hopefully good decision, bad decisions will be turned good. That's part of governance. But even if it doesn't then, and they say, no, you have to do it this way, and it's just an irrational rule, 
then it's our job not to make the good rule. That's the government's job. Our job is to make that rule as good as we can, to make the decision right, even if they didn't make the right decision. Man, if they're going to make me replace all my breakers, I want to make them the best darn breakers ever, <laughs> right? I may not understand all the reasons why they have me do it, but I'm going to do it, and I'm going to, because here's the thing, I'm part of this government, and if I poke holes in this government and sink it, guess who sinks? I do. My family does. Everyone I love. And so my job is, if they make an irrational, a bad decision, and if I've appealed and they won't change, then I'm going to do everything I can to make that decision a right one. How about just, just straight up bad decisions? Not just irrational, but bad ones. You know, they go and do something really dumb, right? Say Larimer County declares war with Nebraska, right? Bad idea, straight up. What do we do then? Well, we need to honor our authorities, those who we're under, and then we need to trust God. Because realize this, that God is king of kings, right? But he's also a personal God. He is also your king. He is your Lord, and you're part of his ultimate kingdom. And doesn't God promise that those of us who are in his society, his citizenship, he says, if you have to suffer things in this world, I will, I will use it. And so if we have to suffer under bad decisions by government, and we're going to do our best to honor government in the midst of it, and we'll do our best to change it from the inside, and if it's not an unjust law, we're going to be under, we have to obey, we have to honor, we have to trust God. Ultimately, our appeal is to trust God. Do we have examples of that in Scripture? Oh, yeah. Think about Daniel. If you don't know what Daniel is, go, go look him up and read about it. It's, it's an incredible book that he actually wrote. A crazy, amazing story about a man who's put in under just circumstances, how he honors his government, and how time and time again he's put in really bad things from very bad decisions. Even the king himself says, this was a horrible decision. Can't believe I decided to throw you to the lions. But I have to throw you to the lions. What does God do? He's there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's there. What about Jesus? You see, we have examples of those people of faith. We don't fear bad government. We exist in the midst of it. We will do our best. But our job as citizens is to, well, respect everyone, love the church, fear God, and to honor those in authority. Does that make sense? So there's another area then we're supposed to be graceful submission. That's to masters. And this is one that's pretty tough because it comes to us in the context of slaves. Well, think about this. First, he talks about submission to government under Nero. Wouldn't you think that the worst form of employment would be slavery? Yeah, so if this is true in slavery, how much more so than in our lives so we you know, have volunteer employment? But that's what he's talking about starting in verse 18. And, and obviously... Employers have jurisdiction in the area of work, right? If your boss tells you to do something, uh, if, if it's at work and it has to do with work-related stuff, you say, okay, I'm going to do that. But if your boss comes to you and says, you have to like the New York Yankees, sorry, don't have the jurisdiction to tell me that. You see, it has, their jurisdiction exists in the form of employment. Wherever their business is, that's where they have the right to do. That's why the CEO of McDonald's can't tell uh, Starbucks employees how to do things. It's inside of their company. That's their jurisdiction, and it has to do with business stuff, right? That's, that's it. Now, the structure of it all, God is, of course, over all things. And so God is king of kings, but he's also lord of lords. He is the one that's over all, all forms of, of employment, he owns everything, right? 
This is his enterprise. Everything that operates, operates under him. So God exists. And then he given us government. See, companies exist underneath the governance of, of governments. And so there is no government, or there's no company that is outside of the authority of the government. So if a, gover- if a, if a company says, we want, to, like if you're part of the United States and, uh, and a company says, we don't want to obey U.S. law, they're out of bounds, right? Or if a company exists and they say, we don't want to obey God's laws, they're out of bounds. Does that make sense? They're under those two things. But inside of this employment, there's a neat structure. There's an owner. And in this case, it's the person that actually owns the person. It says, uh, uh, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. But all those are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how can it be to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what is wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, well, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Does that sound familiar? There's an owner. Every company has an owner. right? They, they, and really, as long as it's in their company, they're the one that gets to make the decision. So long if it's not in contradiction to the laws of the government and contradiction to the laws of God. The owner then, just like uh, uh, a government, he has representative authorities. Those are managers, right? And those are people, bigger companies. Some small companies just have an owner who is ever all of these. But bigger companies have people that are manage. And they kind of step in that thing. They work with the authority of the owner in the area that they are managing. And we're supposed to obey them. And then, of course, then we have the employees. Let me ask, what company would ever succeed if there were no employees? kind of important, right? In fact, the success of a company is, is, is almost entirely related to the quality of its employees and the dedication of its employees. A good company is going to have great employees. And so we see the manager's job are to empower the employees to do their work, to fulfill the, the, the will of, of the owner. That's the way that it works. Now, this is, I know, very practical, boring stuff, but which of us doesn't, hasn't been in, in work, right? And which of us hasn't had problems at work because we've differed perhaps with those above us or maybe with those that we've tried to manage. Under employment, it says here, the first thing we're supposed to do is obey our bosses. Right? Isn't that what it said there when I read that little passage? It says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. We're supposed to obey our bosses. Now, clearly, only when they're asking us to do good things, but we're supposed to follow what they tell us to do. It's not up to us as employees to tell our bosses what is right and wrong. Our job is to do our work. The second thing is that we need to respect our employers. Just like we respect our government, if we can respect Nero, we can certainly respect our bosses. And it says that we're supposed to in reverent fear before God to obey them, respect them. And so it's not talking poorly about them. It's not you know, dragging their name through the mud. doesn't mean we always agree with them, but it means that we respect them. The third thing is that we do our best work. And it said there, what good is it if you get beaten for doing a bad job? <laughs> Right? If you're going to suffer, at least suffer for doing good work. See, the Christian work ethic is this. I don't work well because I'm doing from else. Other place in Scripture says everything that we do, do as though we're working directly for God because guess what? Who's ahead of overall enterprise? God. And he's my owner. And I do well. I don't do good work because I like my boss. I do good work because I work for the king of kings. It doesn't matter what I'm doing if if I'm sweeping floors or if, if, if I'm fixing something as an engineer or, or if I'm 
of serving people as a police officer. It doesn't matter what I do. I do it well. We do our best work. And then uh, we also follow Christ's example. Do you see how in context that's actually that verse is found in the, in the form of employment? Jesus actually, he suffered in this life and he left us an example to follow. And you see, it's, it's, uh, we follow Christ's example. Now, uh, Jesus turned suffering unjustly into power. Right? We were saved not because of, of his teachings, but we were saved directly by his suffering. And so we have that to follow. And so suffering turns our job into ministry, into opportunity. If you have a boss, or you have a company that's very difficult to work for, and you're doing your best work, and, and, and you're doing that and it's still difficult, you know that suffering turns your, your job into a great ministry opportunity. And we should not squander that. We say, Aaron, what about, what about these unjust demands? What if my employer asks me to do things that are unethical? What am I supposed to do? Well, clearly, they're out of jurisdiction, right? Uh, the, your boss, even, your, your, the owner of a company is subject. If they're telling you to break the law, you don't break the law. Wouldn't it have been nice if the people in finance would have agreed with that before we got to 2008? You see, companies need to obey by the laws of, of the land. And so we need to make sure that everything we're doing is legal. A Christian can't be in a company and say, well, I was submitting to my boss. I was honoring my boss, and that's why I broke these laws. That is not good testimony or witness. We have to make sure that we obey the laws. But what if they're telling me to do something that's just straight up immoral? Well, clearly a Christian can't do that either. Because we have to obey God first. Does that make sense? See, that's why the structure of authority is important for us to understand. We obey God first, then we obey government, and then we obey our, our bosses. So if it's an immoral thing, well, graceful submission that we demand, that demands we obey our government and our God, our God first. And that may mean that you have to resign. In fact, there was a job at one point that I had to resign from because I couldn't follow what I was being told to do. There are times that you're just going to have to, may have to do that. That's Okay. What about irrational demands? What about if your boss tells you to do something? It's in their power, it's in their jurisdiction, they can do it, but it just seems so crazy. Just irrational. What do you do? Well, jurisdiction and structure have to be satisfied. If your boss is telling you that, you know, you have to think that Peyton Manning was the worst quarterback ever outside of jurisdiction, you don't have to listen to that irrational talk. Right? You're like, but if they're telling you, you know, you have to wear a bow tie to a car wash. Well, irrational, yes, but we have to honor our authority. So we can be honest. We don't have to say we like those things, but we don't slander our bosses. It, it's a horrible Christian testimony when Christians are out there slandering their bosses. Just don't do it. Honor those in authority. But we can appeal through structure. If your manager is doing something bad, don't just go to the owner right away. Go to the manager. And then maybe go to their supervisor if they have one. Right? There's a chain of command for a reason and it should be used. Appeal in the right way. When we appeal in the wrong way, what we show is a disregard for the structure. And so we, we appeal through structure. And then if we make our appeals and we still don't like it or whatever, but we're there and we say, it's not bad enough for me to quit, do your best to make the decision right. You're not going to make, it's your, job, your boss's job to make the right decisions. And you can help by making appeals, but if they say this is a decision, then do your best to make the decision right. I can tell you, over 10 years when I was under Scott, he and I thought very differently, right? Very different personalities. 
And there were many times in which I would have done things differently than he did. But guess what? I worked for him. And so I would appeal to him. And sometimes he would listen and, and, and sometimes he wouldn't. But when we disagreed and I didn't like what we had to do, I would do it, but I would do it full force. If, if it was a bad decision, I was going to do my very best to make that bad decision work. Why? Because it's not just working for him. I was working for God. I was working for my family. If I punched holes in this church, I wouldn't be the only one that suffered. What kind of vindication is it being the first one down on a sinking ship? Right? If he made bad decisions, I'm going to do my very best to make them right. But now here was something crazy. It turns out Scott had a lot more wisdom than I had. And oftentimes, when I would do something that I thought was a dumb idea and I would do my best to make it work, it worked. And good things happened. You might be surprised. And I learned a lot. And the church grew and people were fed and, and it was a good thing. So we honor our authority. And we do our best to make decisions right. Well, um, I think something else we need to do is we need to trust God to be our provider and our protector. I think a lot of times we, we get upset. We think, oh, this is, I provide for me through this job. No, you work because God provided you an opportunity to work. But God is ultimately your provider. And he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all those other things that you want, you need, like clothes and food and a place to live, God will provide those for you. But you've got to seek him first in his kingdom and his righteousness. So, so my obligation isn't to, to manipulate my boss or to make things the way that I want. My job is to, do, to work for God first and best and know that in that, he will always take care of me. Also, what about we say, what about bad decisions, just straight up dumb ideas that you can see this is just a train wreck ready to happen? Well, we still honor authority. If we, if we have to faithfully appeal. I think we're an obligation to do that. But then we have an obligation in, in work. You don't have to stay employed at a certain place. We don't live in a country where you, there's like, you have to be this. We can resign. If it comes to a point where you say, I just cannot stack hands with the leadership of this company, resign. That's what you can do. You made your appeals. Go work somewhere else. And I think in all those things, you need to trust God. You need to realize that he's the one that takes care of us. So there's employment. So we've talked about government, and we've talked about employment. And let's talk about the third area that a lot of us suffer under things, and that's in home. Right? Uh, graceful submission in the home. Because there's an area of structure that, is, that everyone's part of and sometimes isn't great. And so we'll get to there first, uh, verses 18. Actually, first, I didn't change that. It's first I have 3, 1 through 7 is where we get to. And it says, Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over with outwards by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of inner self, of unfading beauty that is worth Great in God's sight. For this is the way of holy women of the past put their hope in God and used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him his lo her Lord. And you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And husbands, in the same way, be considered of your wives that you live with and treat them with respect as the weaker part of you and, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because of this you were called, so that many will inherit a blessing. Now, this is the part that I preached a couple years ago, and I got yelled at in my office for about, I don't know, 
20 minutes really loudly and it was really difficult because I will tell you in society we've rejected a lot of institutions family is one in our society we've rejected pretty much wholesale but God has a certain way that he says things are supposed to be structured and when we do things God's way things work better and as we've seen actually poured out by numbers when we do things not God's way we have problems which is why over half of marriages end in destruction and other few that don't make it a lot of them are really dysfunctional God designed marriage. It's a really great thing. I can tell you, I've got a great family. And it's a wonderful thing, but the fact of the matter is, the further that we stray from God, the more messed up our families become. And so we need to understand the structure of family. It is an institution. And begin with God. God is at top. God is the God the Father, right? That's how he identifies himself first. Like he is the big dad over all. And so the family, our families need to be under his authority. How we treat one another needs to be under what his house rules are. Under that, there's government. Government has rules as to how we're supposed to operate as society, right? There are certain things that a family needs to abide by. For starters, we need to pay our taxes, right? Kids need to be educated, okay? Government has a right to tell us these things. Right? We need to make sure that we have safe places that are clean enough to make sure that our kids have a safe place to live. Our government has a right to tell us some of these things. We need to be under government. And, and uh, if our household is violating the laws of government that are in tune with the laws of God, well, we're out of authority. And so we need to make sure we follow those things. The next thing that we have uh, thing is the church. And the church is, why? Because the church is the family of God. And all the families of the church are part of the family of God, Right? And the family of God, as we talked about a couple weeks ago in the ordination, how the pastors operate very much in the very uh, similar roles to husband and father. That's why it's one of the qualifications, how we're supposed to look at them. Now, you'll notice there's a nice little chimney that sticks up there. It's because the church isn't under 100% authority of, of the government. There are certain areas of the church, like belief and truth and things like this, that fall outside of what the government has authority over. But most of, our, most of the things that the church does falls under the authority of our government. Right? Which is why the church can't tell you hey, uh, this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, go and kick this person in the kneecaps. Right? We can't do that. Uh, it's against the law. Right? We operate inside the authority of, of our government. And so uh, we abide, we file the paperwork that they ask us to do. They have the right to do that. Um, and so we operate under that authority. Now inside of that, then we see that God says that there's husbands. And husbands are the, says the head of the household. And Second Peter uh, even talks about that. Now, are the husbands the top guy in the family? No, God is. And then there's government, and then there's church. And then there's husbands who are supposed to, to uh, take care of. Uh, we find in other scriptures, provide, protect, care for the family. And with the husbands, you have the wife. And, and the wife's uh, there to help and, and support and to make sure the ha- family works well. And then we have, we have children. Now, oftentimes when we look at these things, we're like, oh, well, isn't that nice? Kids are dirt. no. Do you understand how God works? He said, if you want to be great, you become least. Look what God did for us. He, he provides every single thing that we need. The government is there to provide an opportunity, a safe place for us to have homes. Can you imagine trying to raise kids in, in, a, in a mix of anarchy? That's the government's job to make sure there's at least some type of justice. In the church, the church is not supposed to lord ourselves over you and dictating all the micromanaging parts of your life, but support a place so you can grow in truth and in faith and have a, have a basis for your family to grow. We serve. Same thing as husbands are supposed to serve their wives and their children to provide and protect. 
create a place that they can thrive. And wives are supposed to help in that, to raise and nurture white children. Why? Because they're the next generation. They're the hope. They're the glory of society. And any home that diminishes children and puts them into nothingness or or to makes them subhuman or substandard or whatever has missed the point. But this is the structure of, of of order that God has designed for the family. Now, what does that mean for us? What are our responsibilities in that? Well, for starters, let's just look out there. Do you see the word man on there anywhere? No. Do you see woman up there anywhere? No. You see, the husband is a, is a man who has chosen to be part of this institution, just like an employee is a man or a woman who's chosen to be part of an institution. We get to choose to be part of it. And a woman is a, is a, is a human that's chosen to be part of an institution called family. But once we join into those, there's a place that we have. And so what is the role that we have for husbands and wives? Not men and women, but husbands and wives. Well, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. And why I point that out, very poorly educated people in the past have said, women should submit to all the men, right? I could tell this other guy's wife what to do or whatever because I'm a man, I should be able to do that. That is baloney. It says, in the jurisdiction of family... Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, what if a wife has a job? Is it the husband's role to tell his wife how she's supposed to do her job? No, because that's a different jurisdiction. That's in business, right? There are different parts of society. There are different institutions. But inside the home and the family, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. How is she supposed to? What well, says in Scripture? In the same way. In the same way as What? Well, it says, if we look right before that, it's in the same way that slaves are supposed to uh, submit to their masters or employees are supposed to submit to employers. I think it's an interesting thing. It gives us, this is the same manner uh, that we're supposed to do it. There's, there's an order of, of things, so um, they're supposed to submit. Now, uh, we'll talk about some of the what-ifs because there's a lot of what-ifs because not all men are perfect. I don't know if you've noticed that. But the other thing is to help their husbands. What was the Eve's role when she was created? She was called a helper. Now, that is not a low thing. It means that men need some assistance in running our homes. And God knew that, and so he gave us a team and to help your husbands. And so a wife's job is not just to just like, oh, whatever you say. You know, it's supposed to help the family grow, be healthy, do good things. And that means that declaring a civil war in your home against your husband is not helpful, typically. I think nothing else that says this here is pursue inner beauty. I love that. You know, I think you can really misread this. My wife and I, we both did our, our, one of our major exegetical papers on this particular passage. And, and some people have said, well, this means that women should dress dumpy. That's not what it says at all. It says that it's nothing wrong with external beauty, but it says this, that women can use beauty to manipulate men. Have you ever noticed that? You've seen this? That a wife is not to use her beauty as a point of manipulation to gain control over her husband. She's supposed to have something that's actually more enduring. What's going to draw, what does beauty do? It draws a man to her, right? But there's a beauty that's much more enduring than just what's on the outside. It's not just supposed to be, you know, all this sexual stuff. It's supposed to be actually something of character. I will tell you, my wife is the most beautiful person I've ever met. And I can say that because I know her better than anybody else. She has a true beauty. That's so enduring and it grows. 
She's the type of person I want to be with if I could choose anyone in the world. Well, that's because she is pursued in inner beauty. Does she still get her hair done? Yeah, I like it. (laughs) That's okay. I buy her jewelry. But that's not what makes her beautiful. And it says to wives, pursue this inner beauty because you can be the glory of God on earth with this. You can be something magnificent. So pursue that. And, and that kind of beauty doesn't have to manipulate. That's the kind of beauty that makes a man want to lay himself down for you. Husbands, we have roles too. We have important things to do. It says there, be considerate. I think it's pathetic that God would have to tell us this, but boy, does he have to tell us this. So we look at this, this thing here and we act like people of the world and we say, I'm going to lord myself over my wife. I'm going to get my way. Right, because she has to submit to me, so it's about me. No, it's not. Jesus said, you want to be great? Lay yourself down. A real man chooses his wife's best interests above his own consistently. That's consideration. It's realizing that she's following you because she's trusting you and depending upon you. Be considerate. Don't bark. Don't demand. Be kind. Understand she's different than you. So listen. Care. Be compassionate. God has given you a position not to rule, but to serve. So be considerate. And it says, care for your wife. It says, be considerate as the weaker party. Don't read that as the less able party. Read that as the more vulnerable party. And why is she more vulnerable? Because she's got to submit to you. (laughs) Right? So care for her. Respect the fact that she's following somebody that she knows isn't perfect. And she signed up for that. She is very brave. That's courage. (laughs) So care for her. Make sure her needs are met, not just her physical and financial needs, but her emotional and spiritual needs. You're the one in charge of caring for her, so do it. And care for your children. That's what it tells us to do. Another responsibility that husbands have in this is to honor our wives as our equal. If that doesn't show that there is no, like, there's, there's hierarchy and authority, but there is no hierarchy in value. When Eve was created, she was created from Adam. We are the same. And that's important for us to realize. That she's an equal heir of the kingdom. She's equal in heaven and she is equal on earth. She has equal value, so treat her as such. Not as greater, but certainly not as less than. You're supposed to respect that and understand this. See, human rights didn't begin with a movement in any point in history. It began with God and how he designed us and created us. And I will tell you, when, when husbands and wives are working on the same team, great things happen. When a husband lays himself down for his wife and his children, he serves her and cares for her and is considerate for her, he's the kind of man that a wife doesn't mind submitting to because she knows that she's choosing somebody that's always choosing her best interest. So it's in her best interest to follow him. But if he is selfish and he's not considerate, you make it really hard for your wife to submit to you. But I'll tell you this, when wives submit to their husbands, when they're not always battling him and saying, you're just a dumb idea and I'm going to do things my way anyway, right? And there's civil war in the home, guess what? You're going to have war in the home. And if you punch holes in your home, guess what sinks? Your home and everybody in it. 
The family was designed to work in a certain way, and when it does, it's a beautiful and a powerful thing. And boy, does our world need healthy homes. Now, there's a warning at the very end of this, by the way, and it's just for husbands. It says, husbands who mistreat our wives, God won't listen to you. Now, wives don't have that same kind of warning, so you get off the hook on that. I still you know, do your part, but husbands, God's not kidding. If you mistreat your wife, he's done with you. He's not going to listen to you till you straighten up and you start caring for her and caring for your family and laying yourself down and using your authority to serve. When you do that, then God's going to be there and he's going to help you. Now, what do we do? What do we do? What about these what if things? What about if, uh, if a husband tells his wife to break the law? Is she supposed to do it? No, remember that graceful submission means that we obey the chain of command. And so if a husband says to his wife, go shoplift. That's a great way of saving money at the grocery store. She is under no compulsion to do it. And you laugh, but I've heard that actually been, been told. And there was a gal who really was torn in the spirit as to should she shoplift. Because God says, obey your husband. Yeah, but it also says, obey the government. What about if, if your husband tells a wife, you can't go to church and worship God? Does she have to obey that? No! Because her family is under the authority of the church before it is the authority of her husband. And he has no right to tell her to do what God commands her to do through the jurisdiction of the church. What if a husband tells his wife to lie or to mistreat their kids or to do something immoral? Is she under obligation to do that? Under no circumstances. Because authority, graceful of submission, means that we follow the authority structure. We obey God first. We're a government in our church, and in that, in family, we'll obey our husbands and, and has to obey all those things. And wives can obey their husbands, and children can obey their parents when their parents aren't telling them to do crazy, immoral, bad things. Right? So what happens if your husband tells you to do something that is immoral? Well, you respect him, right? You don't slander him. You don't go back and tell everybody, my husband's a moron, he's so bad. But you know what you do is you appeal. Sometimes you appeal directly to him, go to the chain of command. Sometimes you need to come to the church, we'll help. You know, if it's something else that's doing something illegal, there's abuse or something else in the home, you'd need to go to the authorities. That's, what it, that's the right godly thing to do. You appeal, but you don't obey or abide a bad command. What if your husband tells you something irrational? Because I know that I do that from time to time. Right? I like potatoes peeled in a certain way. I just do. It's irrational. Right? Do I have the right to say, in my home, potatoes are going to be peeled? I don't say that. I don't make a command. But, <laughs> but if I did, my wife would honor me. Why? Because really, at the end of the day, she could appeal to me and say, that's a dumb way of peeling potatoes, Aaron. But if I didn't, I said, no, in this home, this is the way that we're supposed to do it. It's tradition, all right? Because we're Irish, and this is how we peel potatoes. <laughs> okay. She appeals, and I'm being irrational. She just does it. And you know what? She'll do the best she can to make that decision right. And she'll be the best Irish potato peeler ever. <laughs> right? What if it's just a bad decision? You know, men aren't perfect. Sometimes we make just really dumb, boneheaded decisions. Well, appeal, ladies, please. Talk to your husbands. You're a helpmate for a reason. Submission doesn't mean keep your mouth shut and just go along with the sinking ship. Talk to them. 
say, hey, but if he's not going to listen, do your best to make that decision right, but you have to trust God. Know that you've done your best before God and you trust him and he is your husband before your other, your physical husband is. He will care for you, but you need to trust and pray for him. And husbands, what do you do if you are doing irrational things? Listen to your wives for crying out loud. You have them for a reason. They're a gift from God for you. So listen. Care for them. So, in our lives, we are all under authority. Life's not always easy, and yet we work in these institutions. Regardless how bad or good the institutions are, we have certain roles and responsibilities in those. So what do you do with that? Well, I have some ideas. If you take your connection card out on the back side, here's some things that I would suggest maybe to help you take those next steps. The first thing is you'll see on there, maybe you'll say is, this week I'm going to memorize that First Peter 2.21. Why? Because when we're in the midst of institutions, we need to realize that God was also teaching us, so we need to follow his example. How about this? Maybe this week you read First Peter, the passages that I just preached on. Maybe you're going to read those and see it for yourself in God's word. Uh, or how about this? Maybe you need to do is pray for our leaders. Part of honoring our leadership is praying for them. And that's not just me and the church, although I need your prayers, but also... Those over our government and those in your homes, pray for leaders. Or how about this? Maybe for you, the challenge will be this week is to trust God in submission. It Was it hard for Peter to submit to a government run by a, a crazy man? Yeah, but was he able to do it? Yes, with God's grace. And if God can give Peter that kind of ability with his grace, he can help you too. But I'll tell you this. Uh, when we take that choice, God's going to meet us there. He helps us. So maybe for you, say, whether it's in your home or the government or, or, or it's at work, say, God, I'm going to trust you in submission. Or maybe there's something else but I didn't think of. Uh, let me know what that is as your pastor. I love to pray for you, support you that way as you make commitments to follow God. But let none of us leave today hearing God's word and come away unchanged. That's a bad idea. How about this, too? Maybe there's a prayer request that you have. Know this. If you write something here, that we will be praying with you all week long. Uh, joining you and God has done some awesome things we talked to him. and so uh, as we bring this message to a close you get these ready in a few seconds we're going to be taking our, our, commu- commu- our, our offering as you bring your tithes and offerings put them in the basket please put your connection card in there as well your, with your commitments and uh, and uh, be pretty cool so uh, before you do that however let's pray let's pray for you and your, and your commitments and, and uh, before you make them Heavenly Father thank you for you Thank you that you are the Heavenly Father, that you are King of Kings, and that you are the Lord of Lords. You own all things, and you love all people.